Hey, 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 and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I am your host, Maya, the singer, the songwriter, the video maker, and Oakland native. And really good at saying the same scripted part every single time I start an episode. I'm also a huge history nerd. I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, anything weird, dark, and funky from the past. Each day, I'm going to share a few of my favorite deep cuts with you, so let's dig into today's stories. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365. Today, in 1919, the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was ratified. Which amendment was that, you ask? Well, it was not the popular one. The 18th Amendment authorized the prohibition of alcohol and set off a very interesting period in American history. Specifically, the amendment banned the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors for beverage purposes. In other words, everything involved with making or drinking alcohol. The push for prohibition began all the way back in the early 1800s. There was a growing movement of Americans who were concerned about alcohol usage, and they began to form groups around the cause. These were called temperance societies, and by the end of the 1800s, they'd become politically influential. They campaigned in individual states while making calls for nationwide abstinence from alcohol. Women played a strong role in the advocacy for temperance. Many of them considered alcohol to be a hindrance to marriage and upsetting to children's lives. In 1906, the Anti-Saloon League began a series of intense attacks on liquor, and coincidentally, evangelical Protestantism was on the rise, and the confluence of these two factors intensified the push against alcohol. The evangelical Protestants really pushed the view that drinking in saloons were corrupt and ungodly. Separately, factory owners also supported prohibition because they believed that alcohol increased the likelihood of accidents in factories. The movement began to really catch on, and when individual states brought up prohibition votes, they began to pass state by state. A nationwide ban was not far away. In late 1917, the Prohibition Amendment, which would apply to the entire nation, was passed by Congress and then sent to the states to see if they would ratify it. Additionally, Congress passed the Volstead Act, also known as the National Prohibition Act, even though President Woodrow Wilson vetoed it. That's the separation of powers at work. Once the states ratified the 18th Amendment, America was a dry country. Well, kind of. When Prohibition made drinking illegal, everyone referred to illegal drinking. Alcohol still managed to be plentiful, and on top of that, organized crime ballooned as well. The states and authorities had a really hard time controlling Prohibition. Think about any time you tell somebody not to do something. It just makes them want to do it even more. Plus, the enforcement of Prohibition was kind of messy. First, it was assigned to the IRS. What? The same people who do taxes. Yep, the first government agency to oversee Prohibition was indeed the Internal Revenue Service. Needless to say, it didn't work out. Later, it was transferred to the Justice Department, which created its own Bureau of Prohibition, but even with its own arm of government, it didn't go much better. 
The early years of Prohibition did see a decline of arrests for drunkenness, but that was about the only thing that seemed to be working, and after a few years, everything went pretty haywire. Basically, if people wanted to drink, they found a way to do it. Illegal alcohol consumption and production was known as bootlegging, and illegal bars, known as speakeasies, opened up and flourished. People even started making their own liquor at home, known as moonshine or bathtub gin. This was all well and good for those who wished to partake, but along with it came gang violence and general rise in crime that made Americans want to abolish prohibition just about as soon as it had begun. At least when alcohol was legal, there are regulations. Without regulations, everything kind of just fell apart. Probably the most famous crime lord from the era of Prohibition was Al Capone. Based in Chicago, that man earned $60 million every single year from bootleg alcohol and speakeasies. Gang activity related to these illegal alcohol operations fueled the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in Chicago in 1929, where several gang members dressed as police officers and shot members of a rival gang. As you might guess, nobody wanted to be around that much violent crime, and it was common knowledge that these crimes came from the illegal peddling of alcohol, which, if it were legal, wouldn't be illegal, and then there would just be less violence, and so on and so forth. The Great Depression was the nail in the coffin for prohibition. Business leaders and government officials knew that reopening the alcohol industry would create tons of jobs and tons of revenue, two things that were sorely lacking. Franklin Delano Roosevelt ran for president with a promise to repeal prohibition, and the nation seemed to be on board when they voted for him. He won in a landslide over Herbert Hoover. In February 1933, shortly after FDR came into office, the 21st Amendment was passed, which repealed prohibition. It passed on December 5, 1933. Some states kept prohibition for a while, but they all abandoned it by the 60s. Lore goes that FDR celebrated the repeal of Prohibition with a dirty martini, his favorite drink. Cheers to him! Personally, I will never touch a glass of alcohol in my life due to a severe allergy that I have to said substance, but to each their own. And now for today's music fact. Today, in 1996, Jimmy Buffett got into a bit of a pickle with the Jamaican police. He was in a seaplane, the Hemisphere Dancer, along with an all-star group of passengers, including Bono, the lead singer of U2, his wife, Allie, and their two kids, as well as the head of Island Records, Chris Blackwell. The Jamaican police mistook Buffett's plane for that of a drug smuggler and shot at it after it landed in the water. They shot a bunch of holes in the fuselage. If you're thinking, poor plane, well, don't worry, Jimmy Buffett has multiple planes and has a commercial pilot license. Later that year, Buffett later took the memory to music with his song Jamaica Mistaka on the album Banana Wind. The plane is now retired and lives at one of Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville restaurants in Orlando. Sounds like a pretty nice retirement to me. And now for our final segment of the day, I'll be going into my own photo archives to see what I was up to on a January 16th in my life. January 16th, I did something pretty exciting. 2019, no, 2020. I wrote Okay On Your Own, which is a song that Carly Rae Jepsen featured on. You guys, did you know that I did a feature with Carly Rae Jepsen? That's crazy. Um, yes, but I wrote Okay on Your Own January 16th, 2020 in a studio in Manhattan in New York with producer Pom Pom. And I was really proud of that song and really excited about it. I had no idea at that point that I would eventually get CRJ to feature on it. But oh my God, that's so crazy. 
I just have these moments where I realize that that was really what happened and that's insane. I just had so much fun making that song and I'm really glad that Carly got to be a part of it too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow. And if you don't mind, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow at 365 Days MXM Tune on your preferred social media platforms. Drink some water, eat some food, go for a walk, be a human. I will talk to you tomorrow. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you.